Today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 1, and as you're turning there, that's, also, that's on page nine, uh, 976 in the Pew Bibles, as you're turning there, let me introduce our festival speaker this morning. Pastor Robert Crumry serves as the lead pastor at Mercy House Church in Amherst, Massachusetts. He's pastored there for about 20 years, and he is the husband of Melanie and the father of three. Robert attended the University of Texas and Southwest Seminary, and we're very glad to have him share with us this morning. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Please be seated. Well, good morning, College Church. It is really an honor to be here. Uh, I'm so grateful for this church, the gospel preaching legacy that is here, and uh, I am so grateful for the friendship that I've had with your pastor, Dr. Moody, for over 15 years. We got to know each other when he was in New England, revitalizing a church in New Haven, Connecticut, and I was in the process of planting Mercy House in Amherst, Massachusetts at the time. And we were both working in these college towns and trying to bring the gospel to a pretty tough context. And so just very uh, grateful for uh, the friendship and just laboring together in the gospel uh, with him. So it's Community Outreach Sunday. If, If I were you, I would be bracing myself for an exhortation to go and share the gospel with my friends and my family and my coworkers, and I would already be feeling some frustration, maybe because I don't feel like I do it enough, or I've tried it and it's not been that fruitful, or maybe not just frustration, but some guilt around uh, gospel sharing. And so I, I'm going to let you know that this is not just going to be a reminder that you need to do this more. My hope is it's going to be a revival of our hearts in regard to the glory of the gospel and gospel proclamation. 
I think this is what we need more than ever. And when I, I heard about the theme for your both last, last Sunday's uh, global mission emphasis and this Sunday's local mission emphasis, emphasis that it was the glory-centered mission, I thought a great text would be Ephesians 1. And so you've just heard this read, and uh, what we're going to draw from this, uh, we're going to see that in God's activity on planet Earth, there's a person, there's a plan, and there's a purpose. So if you're taking notes, that's where I'm going. There's a person, there's a plan, and there's a purpose. So the person, well, the person that God has all his activity on earth focused on, centered on, is the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems that Paul is trying to make that point there in Ephesians 1. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ. Verse 4, He chose us in Him. And verse 5, Predestined us for the adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, blessed us in the beloved. That's Jesus Christ. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. And then verse 9, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. All that repetition, I'm fairly certain Paul is making a point that God's activity on earth is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. We must not forget that. And you may be thinking, you're, t- you're talking to the wrong church. We would never forget that. We hear that from this pulpit every Sunday. We just sang songs that are reminding us of, of the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ to God's activity on planet Earth. But it is easy to forget. It is easy to minimize. I walk through the, the, the streets of uh, my little college town in New England, and there are many beautiful church buildings with dying congregations who have totally left the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was a day when they did preach the Lord Jesus Christ. So it can be forgotten. It can be minimized. I think the, the, the motivation for, for doing so is that The Lord Jesus Christ is offensive. I mean, think about this name that Paul gives him, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Lord, meaning he's God. We're saying that Jesus is God. That's offensive to some. We're saying that Jesus is Jesus, which means that he's a Savior. That name literally means Yahweh saves, Yeshua, Jesus. And what is he saving us from? He's saving us from, you know, emotional distress or financial worries. Well, chapter 2 of Ephesians says he's saving us from the fact that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. He's saving us from following the destructive course of this world. He's saving us from following the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan. He's uh, saving us from living in the sinful, destructive passions in our flesh. All these things resulting in us being children of wrath by nature. That's what he's saving us from. And of course, saving us from those things by dying the death that someone who looks like Ephesians 2 deserves. That's offensive. And then on top of that, he's Christ, meaning the anointed one, the the king that this Lord, this Savior is to be 
our king. That's offensive as well. It's, it's why Jesus says things like, if anyone would come after me in Luke 9, must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's a king talking. And why would he use crucifixion as a way to talk about submitting to his kingship? I mean, think about this. A crucifixion victim had absolutely zero rights. Once that they had been condemned to die, were carrying their cross to the place of execution, people could spit on them, they could call them names, they could punch them in the face, and there would be no criminal charges placed against them because this person had no rights. And in fact, they did those kinds of things. And so we've given up all rights to King Jesus if we've been saved by him. We no longer are self-determining. We're now king determining, right? We're, we're being determined by our king. And of course, he's not going to punch us in the face and spit at us. He's a good king, but make no mistake, he's asked us to unconditionally surrender every part of our lives to him as the king of kings. We just were singing that. Did you know that's what you were singing? That he has access to every part of our lives. This is the person that God's activity is centered in. Now there's a plan. There's a plan. The plan is the total reunification of heaven and earth. We read this in verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. And he's about to tell us the plan to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the plan, that in Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, God is reunifying. And so he's reunifying things on earth, which is why in, in the Ephesians, he's exhorting the Jews and the Gentiles to be unified in Christ is because he's bringing these things that are disunified because of sin back together in unity in Christ. But not only that, he's saying heaven and earth need to be reunified. And you say, well, I didn't know that heaven and earth needed a reunification, but indeed they do. If you've opened up your Bibles to Genesis 1 and 2, you see a heaven and earth that are unified. You see God dwelling with human beings. But then in Genesis 3, when they sin and they break relationship with God, there's separation. There's a disunity. And this is what Christ has come to remedy, this disunity between heaven and earth. And earth. Ray Orland says that we have a gospel that is as big as the universe. It is bigger than just our emotional distress or our financial worries. Now, can it be applied to those things? Absolutely. But it is cosmic in proportions. And let's be honest, we need a gospel that, that is that big. We need a hope. For this world, for this universe, both the seen and the unseen, that is that big. And you may be thinking, well, that's a relief. God's on a mission to reunify heaven and earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how does he activate that? Especially now, at this part of redemptive history, the way he does that, the way he activates that reunification is through gospel proclamation. This is how the Ephesians were swept up into this reunification of heaven and earth. He says to them in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. These Ephesians, who were once dead in their trespasses and sins, who were once following the course of the world, the the, the prince of the air, that were children of wrath, are now caught up in the reunification of heaven and earth. How did that happen? When they heard the gospel and they responded with saving faith. They believed in him. And how did they hear it? The apostle Paul preached it to them. Gospel proclamation is what God used to activate this reunification of heaven and earth in the lives of the Ephesians. Paul, a finite, sinful human being, who he himself had been saved from sin and its effects by the gospel, was now commissioned to proclaim that good news to others who needed desperately this message of salvation from sin and its effects. This is God's God's plan A. There is no plan B. And so who was your apostle, Paul? If you are a Christian, you've placed genuine faith in Jesus because you heard the gospel. Who's your apostle, Paul? Perhaps it was parents or a teacher or a friend. But somebody or a, a lot of somebodies proclaimed the gospel to you and you heard it and you responded by believing in him. And when that happened, heaven and earth reunified. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. God's God's spirit came down and sealed you as his child and then commissioned you to go proclaim the gospel to others who had not yet heard that good news. College Church has a tagline that I keep seeing on your letterhead and your website, and it says, proclaiming the word. I love that tagline. I know in part it means that you have a legacy of expository preaching in this church. The word is proclaimed behind this pulpit week after week after week. And I I have just been so encouraged to watch Dr. Moody pick that mantle up over the last several years and continue that ministry of proclaiming the word. But I know his heart and the heart of this church is not that the gospel would just be proclaimed behind here, but that it would be proclaimed through the 2,000 gospel preachers that are sent out of here every Sunday. And that the proclaiming of the word would continue on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday. Not behind pulpits, but in schools and in neighborhoods and in places of business. That the preachers are, are not PhDs in suits behind the pulpit. There's nothing wrong with PhDs in suits, mind you. But they can't get the gospel to all those people out there in Chicagoland that need the gospel. That's where the, the 2,000 people that will gather here in these three services today will need to go out and proclaim the word. This is plan A. There is no plan B. You know, I've been encouraged over the last couple of years in some people's lives in my own family who are being gospel proclaimers. One of those is my dad. My dad is a retired school teacher and a coach, lives in a little bitty Texas town just southwest of San Antonio. And I'm usually there in January because I'm going through Texas and Oklahoma 
preaching in different churches, raising funds. Because our church is about two-thirds college students. And so I'm always looking for a you know, few new partners to help me to proclaim the gospel in this little college town, Amherst, Massachusetts. And so I usually, when I come through there, my dad asks me to, to preach in there uh, Wednesday night. It's a little Lutheran church, gospel preaching church, and there's a small group that gathers there every Wednesday night. And so here I am, I've got my little traveling sermon, and I'm preaching this sermon, and honestly, I'm thinking, why am I doing this? Like, I could really use a break. I've got to be at the next place in a couple of days, but trying to be faithful. And so I get done with this sermon a couple, couple years ago, and I, I, I pray, and then this lady comes down after the sermon, and she wants to talk. And it's obvious she's come straight off the street. And I talked to her a little bit more. And she's got out of a domestic violence situation. She's coming off of drugs. And she says, I want to put my trust in Christ. I want to do that thing you just invited me to do. <laughs> it's like, all right, let's do it. And so I pray for her. My dad prays for her. It's a sweet time of praying for her. And then as she walks out the door, the cynic in me is like, it'll never stick. It'll never stick. She'll probably go back to that old life. Well, she didn't. Thankfully, I was wrong. She came back to that service the next week. She then began attending a Bible study that my dad leads and my mom leads in their home and learning what it means to be a disciple. Started to grow in the grace of the gospel and then decided she wanted to tell her friends who were in the very similar situations that she was in about the gospel. So she talked to my dad and she said, I want to do some kind of ministry to this neighborhood. And so they put together some hygiene kits and they started going through the neighborhood and talking to the friends that she knows and giving them these hygiene kits, sharing the gospel, praying for people. And then some of those friends started to come to the church, become Christians and grow as disciples. And as my dad is telling me this, he says, you know, a few years ago when I was driving through that neighborhood on a pretty regular basis, I would pray that God would open up a way for me to somehow minister to the people that were in that neighborhood. And I thought, that sounds like a church planter. That's like a story that a missionary tells. No, that's a retired school teacher who's a gospel proclaimer. I've been encouraged by my oldest son who uh, went to Baylor, graduated. He is, is now working in Austin for a tech company. He bumped into a few Christians that were gathering weekly at, the, at, at his workplace doing Bible study. And they started to, to pray together. And uh, my son, he, he is a visionary. He has got lots of enthusiasm. And so he said, we need to make this more of an outreach and so they hatched a plan that they would do a free pizza party. Now, he, you know, he's been around college ministry a lot. And so that's probably what he thought. That, that, that's the way you reach people. Well, it must be because 50 people showed up for the pizza party. Somebody shared just a, a short testimony. They encouraged them to come back for the Bible study the next week. Many of them came back. People started to become Christians. Little groups started to pop up and trying to, to help them be disciples that were new believers. By their count over the last two and a half years, a thousand people have come through the doors of that little Bible study to hear the gospel. That sounds like a church planter story. That sounds like a missionary story. No, that's a customer service rep at a tech company story who's proclaiming the gospel. In his workplace, this is plan A. There is no plan B. And so why do we do this? Right? Why, 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 why do we participate in this kind of gospel ministry 
Monday through Saturday. Well, there is a purpose, and the ultimate purpose of this is the glory of God. It's the glory of God. This is so apparent in this text. Again, some repetition from the Apostle Paul. Verse 6, the praise to the praise of his glorious grace with, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 12, so that we who were to first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The God's activity on earth centered on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ carrying out the plan of cosmic reunification of heaven and earth through the proclamation of ordinary Christians of the gospel, all resulting in the glory of God. We said that this theme of the last couple of weeks has been the glory-centered mission. You were created for the glory of God. Human beings in Genesis 1 and 2 are created to be God's image bearers, to be glory reflectors. But because of sin and its effects, they become glory absorbers. But but Jesus has come to save us from that, to redeem us from being glory absorbers, and, and to bring us to a place where we do the very thing we were created to do, which was reflect back the glory of God. You do that in a number of ways, but one of those ways is when you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are reflecting the glory of God. And so are you getting a glimpse of a lot of glory? I'm hoping. I hope that's reviving your heart in regard to gospel proclamation as you see the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the plan that God is carrying out through gospel proclamation, all resulting in glory for God. And I think there's a a couple of different ways you could respond to this. So it, it sort of depends on who you are. If you're not a Christian yet, then the call is to respond with faith, to believe in this good news that you can be saved out of being a glory absorber, bent in on yourself, and be redeemed by the grace of the gospel to reflect God's glory and be the very person that you were created to be. If you're hearing that good news and and, and the Spirit is stirring you to to respond with faith, do that this morning, even where you're seated, to ask for forgiveness and to enter in to this cosmic reunification of heaven and earth. Now, if you are a Christian already, I think one of the things to to respond with is by asking yourself a question, am I proclaiming the word of truth Am I doing what this tagline says, proclaiming the word? Am I doing that in my daily life? If the answer is yes, keep doing it. Keep doing it. You can grow weary at it when you experience rejection or it's not as fruitful as you once hoped. Keep doing it. Let let the glory of the gospel, not the results or lack of results, motivate you. Let glory motivate you to continue to be a part of gospel proclamation. I think for many of us, the answer is no. And statistics would bear that out as well. In fact, about three in ten evangelicals would would say that it is not even their responsibility to proclaim the gospel. I doubt there's very many here that would say that. 
And then you look at statistics with younger people, millennials and Generation Zers, about half of them would say that it's offensive to evangelize their friends. And so we're, we're in a desperate need for our hearts to be revived in regards to the glory of the gospel and the proclamation of that gospel. I, I think there's some different reasons why we don't do this. I mean, one, one is that we just didn't know that we were supposed to do it. And so sometimes it's a discipleship issue. We, we, we just need to be told and what to do and how to do it. And so we just we didn't know. I doubt that's most of us in the room. For others of us, we don't feel equipped. We don't feel equipped. I use that word feel on purpose. Because if you are a Christian, even if you've been a Christian for one day, you at least understand enough the truth claims of the gospel to have become a Christian. So you have those to share. You also have a testimony. So from day one, you have some equipping on board to proclaim the gospel to those who've not yet heard it. But we also need to be equipped in an ongoing way. So get equipped. My wife and I have been reading a book called Questioning Evangelism, which sounds like it's anti-evangelism, but it's actually teaching you to be dialogical in your approach of asking questions to help have gospel conversations with people. It's an extremely helpful, practical book. There are many, many other books that you could, could read and use to, to equip you. You have a whole staff here who would love to have a phone call from someone to say, I want to share the gospel more. Could you help me? I'm telling you, they will clear the calendar to have a conversation like that. So, so get equipped. For others of us, it's because we've grown cold in our appreciation of the gospel and gospel proclamation. We've grown cold in our appreciation of the glory of the gospel and gospel proclamation. On July 4th, Independence Day, my little town has a a big celebration, and it makes sense. We live in Massachusetts. July 4th is kind of a big deal. And we have a huge, huge fireworks display maybe bigger than Boston and Washington, D.C. Like, it's really impressive. And about 20,000 people come out from behind the football stadium there at the University of Massachusetts and put out their blankets and eating corn dogs and funnel cakes and other things that we probably shouldn't be eating. But we're just waiting and waiting and waiting for it to get dark enough for that first firework to go up. And then when that first firework goes up, it happens every year, You've been to fireworks display. You know what this is like. You hear this audible praise that goes up. Oh, wow. And we praise the glory of the beauty of that firework. And then we proclaim to our neighbor. And we say, oh, I love that one. Oh, I love it when they do red, white, and blue together and golden sparkles in them. Isn't that, is that your favorite? And then, and then another one goes up. Oh, and more praise. And then more proclaiming to your neighbor. And I just thought, this is so unique because you would never do this in a movie, right? The movie's playing and, and, and you would not be going, oh, the cinematography. Like, you don't do that. You stay quiet or they usher you out, right? But when it's, when it's fireworks, you're audibly praising and proclaiming. And, and as I kind of stood on the outside of that looking in this year, I thought, this is what gospel proclamation should look like. We see the glory of the gospel. 
And, and we're captivated by that. And we see the awe of that. And we, and we do that when we hear that gospel preached behind this pulpit on a Sunday morning or discussed in a, in a Sunday morning Bible study. And, and, but then we go out and we proclaim it to our neighbor on Monday. And then we come back on Sunday and, and we sing the gospel and we hear the gospel preached and, and we see the glory of it. And we ah oh, the awe of the glory of the gospel. And then we go and we proclaim it. We proclaim it to our neighbor, to our friend, to our children, to our, our, our family. And it's just this ongoing cycle of, of praise and of proclamation. A couple of years ago, I, it was probably a Monday. I think most pastors have rough days on Mondays. And I just needed to get out of town. So I went to this coffee shop outside of town, do some reading and praying and just get my act together. And I sit down. I mean, the minute I sit down, I got this beautiful warm cup of coffee in front of me. My phone goes off. I look at the number. I don't recognize it. And I, I hang up on them and let them leave a message. And I put it back in my pocket and they don't leave a message. They call again. I look at the number and I think, that's a really persistent sales call. Like, and I hang up again. I, I'm a terrible pastor. Okay, I know. I put it back in my pocket. Per- the person's in need, right? Probably. Third time, I'm getting worried. Okay, so if you call me three times, I will pick up. All right? So I pick up. And this, this lady's on the line, and she says, do you remember we had a phone call appointment today? And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm apologizing, and I'm like, tell me again what it was about. And she said, we were going to talk about fundraising through alumni. And I was like, oh, great. That's just my favorite topic. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about it. And so she's asking me questions about alumni and fundraising and church, and she's, she's trying to raise money with a, a church plant in Boston. And so we talked for a few minutes, and then she just stops the call. And she says, Robert, I don't know if you realize, but, but do you know Megan Messersmith? I was like, yeah, totally. And Megan was an Amherst College student, had been a part of our church, had become a Christian during her college days. Uh, we had baptized her. I remember her baptism well because she had a fever and she was sick and we were having it outside in April in Massachusetts, and I was like, this is a bad idea. Like, you're going to catch pneumonia, and she's like, no, I want to get baptized. I'm like, okay. So we baptized her. She did live, and she's a member of this church now. But she says, you remember Megan? I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember Megan. And then she says, well, Megan shared the gospel with her brother, and her brother is my husband who shared the gospel with me. <laughs> And now she's, this, this woman was raising, trying to raise money for a, a gospel-preaching church plant in Boston. And it was like a, a spiritual fireworks display going off. And my heart was just praising God. And when I got off that phone, I'm like, I'm packing up. I'm going back to town. I want to proclaim the gospel. Right? And so that is my prayer for you. As you hear some of the stories of these evangelists, as you read this word and hear it preached, as you behold the glory of the gospel, that you would praise God for that. We're going to sing all hail the power in Jesus' name. Let's sing that and praise him. But then let's go forth from this place, fueled by glory, and proclaim that gospel. Let's pray. Lord, your gospel is... So glorious. 
We wouldn't have placed saving faith in you if we hadn't seen the glory of the gospel. And so we are so grateful, God. You gave us eyes to see it and to appreciate it such that we put our only hope in it, our faith in it. Lord, and we we did see you as Lord and Jesus and Christ. And we trusted in Lord and Jesus and Christ. We, we, We all... All parts of you, Lord. And Lord, we, we pray that that would enliven our hearts as, as we behold the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel and that it would send us out from this place as glory-fueled proclaimers of that good news. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for its gospel-proclaiming legacy. And may it never end, Lord, until your return. And may it expand and accelerate from this place and beyond through the 2,000 or so gospel proclaimers in this church body. And we pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.